here we go. What is up, everyone? I am Charlie Shrem, and you are listening and watching Untold Stories, where twice a week, I get to dive deep with some of crypto's coolest freaking people, and some of them are leaders, too, to find out how this movement truly came to be. Where did we come from? Where are we going? How do we get here? What is Bitcoin? What is crypto? Why is it important? Who are some of the people involved? I'm joined today by two amazing people. Patrick Stanley, you're the founder and CEO of Freehold. And when I was doing research of your project, I was like, wow, community as a model, that's, that's actually brilliant. And I'm excited to talk to you about some other topics. I'm also excited to welcome, so thank you for coming on the show today. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. I'm uh, also excited to welcome my good friend, Phil Lebowski, Filet Mignon. Phil, thanks for coming on the show today as well. No problem. What's up, everybody? Phil, you're like the only Canadian in America right now. Seems to be true. I don't know how you got here. Through Barbados, actually. Well, welcome to sunny Sarasota, Florida, and it's good to have you, and it's good to have everyone. You, you've been uh, doing a lot of OTC work, like crypto and people buying and selling. You're, I see on your phone, you're doing it all the time. You have people buying and selling and, and getting involved. You're like a man on the ground, so it's great to have some of your insight. Patrick, um, you embarked on one of the boldest crypto-related ideas I have ever seen in the space. And not only coming up with a whole new consensus algorithm that is community-driven, it's not based on proof of stake, it goes even farther. And, and I'll be honest with you, um, I, the, the, the ball, the, the, I am not a believer in proof of stake. There, I've said it. Uh, I, my mind is open. I'm a big fan of proof of work, but proof of stake, I still don't believe, I still believe that it actually, it's proof of stake, the whole model could potentially defy the law of physics. That's why one of the reasons it doesn't work. But uh, what you came up with here, uh, the ability for people to earn Bitcoin instead of always having to buy it all the time, because that message changed. Why did you see that as a problem? And then what did you decide to do? Yeah, well, first, just, just to um, make sure I'm super clear. Um, I didn't invent any specific consensus mechanism, but I I did um, I did essentially formulate a new model for uh, getting folks to right getting folks to earn cryptocurrency um, as a way of working for a project. So um, I if, if you kind of like if you kind of squint your eyes, blockchains sort of look like a cap table register where you're able to you're able to give shares like ownership in you know. In, in a specific idea or startup. Um, but the reality is when you actually look at the people who own cryptocurrency, most of them are actually just free riders. They buy cryptocurrency and then hope that a small group of people will make it more valuable and more useful. What we've done is we've said, okay, what if you actually just surgically carve out the group of people who are not only hodlers and, and, and in effect, investors, but also um, the same folks that do work to make the protocol or the token uh, more more valuable and more useful. And so in the same way, you'd want investors and startup employees working in success of the startup of an idea. What we're trying to do here is we're trying to we're trying to create a new business model whereby community founders leverage their community in a very uh, in a very economical and sort of potent way, instead of necessarily having to go to Sandhole Road, raise millions of dollars, and then just hire like three to five people. So the difference between, let's say, doing business development or sales 
with 300, uh, with 300 people, like community members who have skin in the game, uh, who can create a, a formal system for, for making out group arguments to convert people, um, into integrating, um, your crypto into building with your crypto or just, uh, holding your crypto, I think is like, is a, is a much more, is a much more powerful model. And I think, um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm just, I'm experimenting with it and, and I, I'm feeling, I mean, I feel very bullish on the idea. So far, we have a lot of traction and I can tell you more. This is what I love about this industry is that a lot of the times the people that I talk to and the, the founders and CEOs of companies, and, and I want to ask you, you call this the user staker model, but uh, it's so interesting that you have people who are founding companies, not just to make revenue, but essentially to, to prove your own internal life thesis. Yeah, sure. I mean, I, I think there's there's definitely a balance between like building something that's cool and building something that's needed. Um, when I when I think about, I mean, the cool aspect of this is, um, you know, when you when you think about company formation, you think about something like Facebook. Why was it that you know only a handful of people really got wealthy on Facebook leading up to the IPO um, versus um, you know? its users starting to like, you know, gain ownership of Facebook as it grew. It might have even, I mean, not, Facebook's an outlier, but like. I have a great example for you um, and something that I feel personally like spurned by. And maybe you can tell me how in, in your in your model this would be different. But let's look at like Airbnb as a company. A perfect example. They're about to go through an IPO. They're actually in the, the underwriting stages. Airbnbs built on their community. I mean, they, they were probably one of the first companies outside of crypto to realize very early on that their community of hosts and, and guests, but really hosts would really make up their whole business model is that community of hosts. I am a, I'm a super host. Actually, I have two units and I'm dedicated. Like I'm like, I don't host on any other platforms. I don't go on a VRBO homeway. I'm loyal to Airbnb and Airbnb repays that loyalty. But here's your perfect example. They have an IPO. Airbnb emails me saying, hey, as a host, you can have up to a $500 pre-IPO shares. I'm like, okay, what am I, $500, like, what is that going to do for me? Here, I made Airbnb to where it is today. I want to have a stake in its future. And then they tell me that it's oversubscribed and I can't even be involved. I'm pissed off. Here I am. I, when you search Sarasota, Florida, my two units are the first two units that come up. I'm undying loyalty to, to Airbnb company. But where's the reward? How in your, in, in, with Freehold, if like, this all was a different world that we lived in and everything started in new and fresh. How could a, a company like that potentially like, or an influencer who started a company like that or a project or idea kind of like keep their host or their users or their everyone uh, happy? Yeah, sure. I mean, well, with the Airbnb model, what they, they have is, is data lock-in and, um, and uh, their rating system. Um, so those are the things that keep, I mean, obviously they have like good yeah. UX, but they have a network effect. The rating system. Yeah, the rating system keeps keeps folks in. The network effect keeps folks in, um, and I think in the sort of in the future, like with the freehold model, you wouldn't necessarily have you wouldn't necessarily have data lock in. You you can have your own rating system where you sort of um, uh, attribute uh, or what's the word attest um, to someone's rating, and that could be something that the user owns. But folks are actually locked in not by data not by necessarily their rating um but they're locked in by their stake essentially um 
what, what you could do is you could have like a proof of HODL uh, access control mechanism that aligns folks within the system. So, you know, maybe you have some money at stake that shows you have like skin in the game, you're an owner uh, in Airbnb as, as like an idea, mm. and that gives you access into the Airbnb community. So you're, you know, you're, if you were anti-Airbnb, you wouldn't be, you wouldn't be buying its shares or its tokens, for example. Um, and I, I think, I think the economic alignment early on, um, essentially what it does, excuse me, what it does is it leverages uh, essentially an underutilized um, group of people. So, you know, before, you know, let's say like with the Kickstarter model, with Kickstarter, for example, this is actually even close, even closer to freehold than the Airbnb model. But but it's still, we, we can kind of examine how how it it's kind of not fully aligned for the, for the end user. So with the Kickstarter model, people who want a product, they put up money, um, then a small team builds that product and then gives it to the people who backed it. But the people who backed it took a leap of faith. Now they essentially had to yeah. they had to commit to a service. Uh, they had to, or sorry, they committed to the idea that this thing would be would be built in the future. Um, they have no skin in the game. They don't. They don't. Uh, they don't necessarily uh, own. They're not. They're not like a user staker. They're not. They're not working. They're not able to even it's a be feature active. product or service. Yeah, yeah. They, and they and they can't really be activated as much as someone who is like an employee of company to make outgroup arguments. So what we're trying to do is we're trying to move the sort of general public who like orbits specific communities to become a, a, like a, a, an active member. You know, it's almost like the Mormon church, right? Like they go out to countries and make outgroup arguments to convert to Mormonism. You, you'd you'd yeah. essentially want this for company building or protocol building or community building. I wasn't going to use it as a religion, as an example, but that essentially is what it is. You know, some, some listeners who are thinking right now may say to themselves, well, Sometimes it's those scams or like Ponzi's or, you know, projects that need that religious fervor, like XRP army to go out there and be that, whereas some other projects don't need that. What you're saying is that regardless, every, every company or every project or every founder or really any service needs to take control and, and be in relationship on both ways with its community. Yeah, definitely. I, and I think, I think essentially leveraging community is leveraging code, capital, and media. And those are very, very high leverage uh, sort of uh, aspects to leverage. The problem is most startups don't necessarily do that. And most startups don't include the community in a way that gives them um, skin in the game. We developed something that's, um, I, I've done a Google search on this. I haven't seen it anywhere. We've developed something that um, I, I find very interesting um, within Freehold. We call it HODL score. Mm. And so what it does is it tracks the earnings of folks that have earned within a Freehold. So you can see how much someone earned, but then it also tracks how much and how long they've HODLed for. It's almost like the it's almost yeah, like yeah. The, the mirror image of a credit score, except for it tracks earnings at and assets. And I think this is like yeah. a is like a potentially good way to create labor markets in the future. It's a great, it's a great thing. In fact, I've talked about it on this show back in the 2017 days. Yeah. Uh, one of my internal spreadsheets on rating a project that I was going to put some money in was yeah. this like community score, community subscore. And I almost want to like go through it with you because you've probably looked at 
dozens of, of projects and companies and, 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 and communities. So maybe I can kind of pick your brain on, on what you look at as, as uh, successful versus not successful. But, um, but one of the things that I looked at, a metric that I looked at, I called it TIL, Token Investor Loyalty. And it's how long you can see on chain through some metrics how long its holders are holding. And that has like a, that's a quantifiable number. Yeah, there's 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 a few inputs. So I, I uh, just brief uh, background. My my background is in uh, like finance and uh, lending. So like I've sort of deconstructed FICO and understand uh, you know what makes up a credit score, how much things are weighted, uh, etc. So that that gave me like a little bit of inspiration going into creating this HODL score. Some like some of the inputs are. Uh, amount earned, um, time since first hodl, her, first hodled token, time since last, uh, sorry, first earned token, time since last earned uh, crypto, and uh, hodl rate. So how much have you liquidated over time? And then, um, and then an uh, individual scoring, like a person. Yeah, an individual. Yes, yeah, so you can do individuals. Oh. You can also do companies. Interestingly, um, for individuals, you and then and then you can also wait. You know how many tokens they've held. So, um, if you allow for some seasoning, a story appears, which is this person has earned. You might even might even have a memory function. Yeah, where, narrative and context. What happened? Yeah, what happened? Did the token? Did, so, did the token price go down in relation to Bitcoin, or did it go up in relation to Bitcoin over which period of time, and for how many tokens did this happen? You can essentially map, um, like, give this like a few years of seasoning, maybe even just a couple, and. You can start mapping like you know who is worth investing in from not just like a, a pseudo employee standpoint, but almost potentially even like a pseudo investor standpoint. You know, it'll, it'll become like very clear which people uh, find great projects that stand the test of time because everything is literally on the wow. blockchain. That's brilliant. Thanks. I went to a a, a conference. Uh, Phil, you're with us in Vegas, uh, not too long ago, right before COVID. And do you remember Voyager had that big wall of all the, the different time, like things that happen in crypto. It was like a big part that you could, they had a timeline, they had a big timeline of the past 10 years of like famous events, but it wasn't just famous. It was like a million events and you can go with a marker and actually write out your personal history overlaid. And that's kind of what you're talking about here. Yeah. But, but more so, but, but more so. To illustrate uh, th that helps. Uh, people were able to come up with a sharpie and write when they bought, uh, what they bought, how they bought. Yeah, everything. Yeah, for sure. And I think, um, I think you know, uh, my one of the advisors to the uh, the freehold, Balaji Shrinivasan, he 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 says something along the lines of, um, first people use crypto for payments and for like store value and all that." Next, people are going to use crypto for truth. And what's, you know, just a little bit of applied knowledge to, to like what blockchains are useful for uh, and, and kind of, um, and kind of like persist, like dogged persistence, I think could actually sort of like whip up a labor market that hasn't existed before in, the in, in a kind of a similar way that having like a FICO credit score allows folks to, apply for loans in more places than just their own bank quicker, you know, so they can get credit cards. They might be able to apply for a mortgage on like rocket mortgage or whatever. What you're doing is you're, you're 
you're allowing for credit markets to expand by virtue of getting them priced uh, and getting them ra- getting them rated and therefore priced. How do you how do you sort of underwrite this? You know, um, it just it's like a tool to make to make decisions easier. In the same way, there's a massive group of people that want to earn crypto. They can't afford to invest in in every project. They can understand uh, what's going on in the project. They you know beyond just the white papers that they might be a part of the community and there's and they just wish they could invest more. Um, and I I just see I see like a you know this is like a it's like a giant networked community of people that that want to be high impact high leverage. They're they're building app they're building applications. They're creating YouTube videos. They're creating uh, blog posts. They're creating you know, they're just creating content like educating people and and, and converting. Um, yeah, and they're building the reputation along the way. So like. You know, so I I, I, I kind of have the scale on a very similar scale to uh, what you would think is like a good credit score versus bad credit score. So like an eight fifty HODL score is like you're you're you just you're an insane leap. Oh, you kept the same scoring mechanism as FICO. I didn't keep the same scoring me- mechanism uh, TM, <laughs> but but like I, the number range or whatever. The numbers, the numbers, yeah, the numbers are are within the same the same range, just so people could understand okay if i have a 650 i still haven't figured out my damn credit score i got some work to do we if you want to talk about that after the podcast i'm happy to i'm happy to i'm happy to help you there is no i I write letters all because i have like like (laughs) wait what well well, first of all i went to prison for two years so like i had this whole like like hang like like a cliffhanger all the bill collectors were like what the hell happened to him so then yeah. I just killed my credit, but like for like $84 cell phone bill. And so I spent years on the phone with these companies. Like I went to jail, please, yeah. I will pay it in full. Just take it off my credit score. I can't open and up. The rab- and the rabbi credit. was like, the rabbi was like, no. Yeah, no. <laughs> we'll, you owe this debt. <laughs> Some lady on the phone, even though you owed it, she's like, you're being punished for paying it late. Yeah. I said, I went to jail, please. Yeah. Yeah, we don't necessarily need to go go through old stuff, but I I was I was around during that that time and and that was how did you get into to crypto? Yeah, tell me your the backstory. Yeah, yeah, uh, good 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 segue. Um, you know, um, when I was I just graduated from university and I had not really gone down the rabbit hole of what makes money money, and so that was kind of you know. I think a lot of people have the same story. They they found out about Bitcoin, started questioning, you know, uh, they started questioning things like, why does the Fed get to create money whenever it wants to? Is this, you know, is this Bitcoin kind of like a lower entropy carrier of information and therefore maybe a good sort of substrate to oh, build, good... you know, to build kind of like a, you know, like a new network state or an internet society on? And I still think that that is the case. Um, but you know, some of the folks that introduced me were uh, Andreas Antonopoulos and you. Um, I'd oh, say awesome. like probably half of the of the educational um, material I first got uh, exposed to was talks that you had given. I think you did a really great job of, you know, regardless of whether Bit- Bitcoin has money as like you know unit of exchange is still the same narrative. You did a great job of converting people into Bitcoin. Um, 
and appreciating it for what it is. So I have a lot, I have, I have you to thank uh, for getting into this industry. I appreciate it. Thank you for, for telling me that because um, I appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you, Charlie. Same goes for me. Thank you, Phil. I, yeah, I, uh, I guess I, I was lucky to be in the right place at the right time. And every morning I think a little bit more about this. Uh, and I think it was because uh, I found Bitcoin and I found Satoshi and, and, and those, that very small, very fervent uh, Bitcoin community back then. And when I mean fervent, I mean like borderline crypto anarchist, uh, cap, you know, anarcho-capitalist. Uh, now we say crypto anarchist. But um, at a time when I had just been excommunicated from a community that I was born and raised from. So I was like searching for a community to attach myself to. And this was that community. So, so, uh, other, it didn't just become, and maybe you can dissect this because you study community, but it didn't just become a community of friends and people that I can work with and bounce ideas off of, but Bitcoin and crypto or Bitcoin, what crypto became, but Bitcoin at first, uh, became my family. And in fact, uh, Roger Veer was my father, you know, Eric Voorhees, my big brother. Um, some people be my cousins and my uncles and aunts. And I would look up to some people as, as grandparents, uh, uh, as David Schwartz from Ripple. It's my grandpa or whatever, you know? So like I can make fun of Ripple because they're my friend started it. I always say Vitalik is my little brother. You know, all these, I remember literally teaching Vitalik how to eat lobster. In a, in a New York, like, uh, he didn't know how, you know, the guy found Ethereum. He couldn't, he'd never done a lobster before. Uh, I'm sure he knows how to eat lobster. Yeah, I think he knows how to eat lobster now. <laughs> but these were crazy, crazy years back then. Especially the community was a, a, a lot tighter because it was survival. And it was all or nothing. It still is for me, all or nothing. Yeah. It, it, like, I definitely can appreciate that. I feel like it was... Um... It was, and I mean, still is to a certain degree, but definitely more back then. It was a bunch of fringe characters. Yeah, and it was like the land of misfit toys, and you know, kind of hyper. I'd say like there were there were like some hyper libertarian uh, kind of folks. There were hyper idealistic um, folks. But what I, you know, when you read books about you know like homebrew computer club. There's some interesting quotes in there that that really seem similar to to today. Um, you you mentioned you mentioned something. You said what makes money money, and it's something that oh. uh, everyone is still trying to figure out. Phil's thinking about it right now. I'm thinking about it. But in terms of what makes money money, um, or better yet, what makes crypto crypto? What makes crypto crypto? And that's what I'm trying to understand because. You're talking about thousands of years of, of value and his money is hardwired into our brains, or even like hundreds of years in this country. And then it's always been known that value can only be two things. Value can be created by a market, by, by people, you know, over the course of a very long period of time and has many years of, of bedrock and, 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 and uh, um, foundation, or money could be by federal decree, fiat, uh, and we all know that that works or it doesn't work or whatever, but that's what money is to me, at least. How is it that we've created such a, like that small group of misfits, 
of geeks and nerds and weirdos in the past 10 years have created this new global money. Like, Phil, what do you think? Uh, I mean, uh, no one really knows where this is all going. And I think in the last bull run, in the last couple of months, we're finally starting to catch the attention of people that uh, are regulating us. And I think that's what really makes money money. Oh, that clarity, yeah. Um, you know, before I believe the 70s, we were based on the gold standard. We're not anymore. The only reason we believe in the $100 bill is because we all believe in it. Nixon really screwed us all with that and pulling us off that gold standard. Right. Um, depends what school of thought you're with. I mean, there's neoliberals now that I think they call it. Uh, MT. Yeah, exactly. I was yeah. just reading a book called Money by. Anyways. I saw a school of thought that said that we value money too high. And what, we sh- what America should do is triple the money supply very quickly. Yeah, just they could just print it whenever they deba- want. This, this a theory says that the U.S. should just debase its currency and flood the world with dollars because the world will have no alternative to have to use the dollars and the flooding of dollars will create this accelerated hyper-growth K-shaped situation where the haves will have a shit ton more and the have-nots will have nothing. That's literally what the theory doesn't say, but anyone who knows how money works will come up with their own Saying like realize that that's what that's and and it's and it's like the neoliberals that are one that are coming yeah. up with that. And I think uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Patrick, but I believe it has something to do with the unemployment rate and us not being at full capacity. Uh, while we have that deficit, uh, some will argue that it's okay to print money to pay for your own defaults uh, because people are trying to grow. It's when everyone has a job and there is no more up where that thinking doesn't work. But for now, I mean, especially after coronavirus, yeah. might as well print more. What do you think, Patrick? I mean, I, I, well, well, I, I look at the economy as an information system. And um, I think when you look at like the Federal Reserve um, printing more money, but that, what that is, is putting noise into a channel. So you're, instead of sending predicted, predictive signal, you're sending noise. You're essentially, um, you're, you're signaling that the system, is less predictable than it once was. And I think uh, for whom that's important to manage their own economies are countries like China, you know, countries like Japan, like just folks that actually buy our, that, you know, need to use our dollars. Um, the, yeah, I mean, and, and also what, one, one comment on like the what is money, what makes money money, you know, uh, F.A. Hayek had this has this concept of the sort of continuum of liquidity, and what that says is essentially all assets are essentially money. It's just the ability to convert them and like barter for them. We use money as a substitute for barter, so that we can we can do transactions more seamlessly. But as, as that would make money an anomaly. Essentially, the money that we use, like the physical dollar bill, shouldn't really exist because that's like an, a paper extension of credit kind of like do on someone else but but money if if you know what you said is the val- is is true like this cup of coffee is money this is what we barter with you want this coffee i have this coffee have a nice day i'm yeah. using a substitute yeah the only thing is that yeah it, exactly it's it's like uh it's a poor it's a poor yeah i, I guess it's like uh when, when it comes to when it comes to like uh easily fungible um you know uh sort of you know, 
unit of exchange, money serves m- money is is pretty great. If you're working all, I mean, if you have hot coffee, that's like a yeah, like a radioactive isotope that's decaying. No one wants a cold coffee later, and they don't want to reheat it. So you have to like sell it as it's hot. Um, so that's that that's a little bit obviously a little bit different. I think like uh. you know, real estate, stocks, um, crypto, uh, cash, like all that is on the continuum of liquidity. And uh, yeah, I don't. I don't know what point I was trying to make with that, but just essentially saying like, um, no, you've made me start to think in tangents. That's, yeah. that's <laughs> as you're, as you're talking. Um, so, so how do you create then to bring it all back together? How does a community create that value? Sure. Well, when people apply knowledge to a project, they're, um, they're, they're increasing the the value of that project. So like with a startup, for example, um, you know, people. Uh, you have you have a uh, you have a team of engineers who who um, who uh, essentially at zero marginal cost, they're they're adding knowledge to a project. So like the application works better, an application works better. Uh, it you know it, it um, has less bugs. It does what it's supposed to do. Then your marketing team is installing the idea into people's minds, and so when the, the idea is installed in people's minds, you're building like the brand. You're Getting folks to take money out of their pocket, pay for it, et cetera. Establishing trust. Yeah, yeah, and and I th- I think when when you when when you think about um, kind of like you think about um, like what a firm does and um, what it what it's trying to do is it's trying to grow, it's trying to sell more product, it's trying to become a better product. Um, and the question the question I'm looking to I'm looking to solve is can you can you essentially create a firm from a community and can you leverage more people um, can you leverage more people pay them in um, pay them in cryptocurrency um, can you essentially can you have more impact can you have more impact than you than you could in a traditional startup by leveraging community rather than than um, than mostly full-time salaried workers paid for by venture capitalists that that has been proven it's just been very difficult to do without uh, this, you know, distributed trustless ledger system that we have called blockchain without that, it's the, the cost and the inefficiencies of doing what you said, really, uh, all my guests really on the show to do anything that they're talking about doing without this technology, uh, we wouldn't really be able to do it. And I think that's kind of like the point of, of, of why I do this show. Yeah, for sure. Um, it's kind of funny, like. People approach crypto from, I think people approach crypto from different lenses. Sometimes they, you know, they want to treat cryptocurrency like it's a unit of exchange. Sometimes they want to um, recreate the financial system. Um, and I think it's really important to look at, you know, look at, look at it for what it is. You know, I, I think, you know, blockchains aren't meant to be full scale databases. They don't. They're not very fat. It's difficult to get them to be very fast, but also very secure. Um, like, okay, well, you know, you don't really, you don't really need a cap table to be lightning speed, um, yeah. right? And people store their wealth in things like company stock. They store their wealth in things like Bitcoin. They keep their wealth, their wealth in vaults too that are only open on weekdays. Not federal holidays, yeah. so yeah, people don't need speed. Is not 
I don't think speed is important as security. Yeah. So what's what's kind of what's kind of your your mission in crypto right now? Like you're you're doing this podcast. Um, you know, you've you've been in this space for for almost a decade. And mm. oh god, don't um, say that. Yeah. Well, I think I, I'm looking I'm, for relevancy now. No, I'm joking. Yeah. <laughs> I think you're pretty relevant. I uh, why one of the reasons I do this show is why I started the show, why I did the show, why I do the show now, and why I'll do the show in the future is always going to change. I started the show for therapeutic reasons. That's no longer the case. Now I do the show because it's my, uh, I love to do it. It's my income. Feed my family this way. Uh, It's my full-time job, this show. And I love it. I love doing it. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have it any other way. I wouldn't have any other job. If you told my school teachers that I get paid to talk, they would think you're crazy. And so, because they just throw things at me to shut me up when I was in school. Like, Charlie, get the hell yeah, out of there. Maybe they wouldn't be surprised. Because I wouldn't Are shut you... up in school. Well, there it is. There yeah. it is. Yeah. I just always had something what's, to say. Still what's great fun. about that is you're, you're essentially making money by being you. Mm. You know, it's like um, Joe Rogan, he literally just hops on a podcast and it's hang. I mean, it's, it's actually more That's of what like I'm a trying friend. to do here. It's why I got Phil. I would love to have you here. Like, we built out this room. In a non-COVID world, there'd be couches here. We'd be smoking weed. It'd be great. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's... Legally, um, legally of course. It's Florida. You need to have your license. But, Patrick, what are, you, what are you working on this week that you're excited about? It's Monday morning. What, what do you got going on this week that you, that you really want to get done that's, like, exciting you? Um, yeah, so I'm onboarding a ton of freeholders. So I'm doing, like, outreach. Oh, it's a great name, freeholders. Yeah. Thank you. Tell um, us where you got. Yeah, so after you tell us, and I'm going to get yelled at for not letting you speak, but after you tell us uh, what you're working on this week, tell us where you got the name of the company. Oh, sure. Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll definitely get to that. Um, so, yeah. So this week I'm onboarding a ton of freeholders. I'm um, I'm implementing HODL score. So it's like it'll be live in production. So, you know, the the... The folks who are in the freehold right now um, will begin getting emails uh, with their HODL score and why they have a HODL score like the way they do. Some people have unhodled accidentally. Some people unhodled because they had to spend. Um, but a lot of people have been hodling and earning and having an impact, and they're starting to build their reputation. So um, we want to reward that by letting them know like, kind of like what the best score is and, and, um, and allow that to benefit them for future earnings. Um, the other thing, the other thing I'm, I'm launching is, uh, uh, this week is a, um, it's kind of like a little, it's like a job board. So folks in the freehold can see who, who's working on what tasks so they can like work with their friends and complete, um, complete sort of, uh, challenges as, as a community. So for example, like if you want to get integrated in like the top 50 wallets, for example, you know, and you could coordinate like 300 people to try to get those integrations to happen. That's that's like a pretty good system if if it works. Um, but those folks have to like work with each other, make sure they're coordinating yeah. with each other to make sure that happens. So, anyways, the the name Freehold. Um, yeah, my wife works in branding and design, and we she offered me like a couple hundred names. Um, I you know I highlighted like five of them. Freehold uh, made it to the top. I love freehold because the definition of freehold is um, is uh, is essentially like the legal right to own property in a specific place. 
with the right to release it at your will. And that to me is like crypto ownership. It's like you hold the keys, no one can rip those out of your hands. Um, and yeah, and since freehold is like a proof of HODL, HODL access, yeah. control, access controlled community, it's almost like a virtual version of of, uh, of the kind so of. So, for like, example, if you if you go if you go to like a Delaware and you want to buy a beach house, you can't buy a property mm-hmm. on the beach. How you can't even buy a property. You can't own land. I don't even think in some of these cities at all. Instead, you get a 99-year freehold. And in fact, that's how it is in like some like in, in Amsterdam too, I know. What that's like a leasehold. It's like a leasehold. Well, property that, in China is freehold. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. I always assume my ignorance assumes that you can own land. You just there's only one way. You buy a piece of land, you own it, as long as you pay property taxes on it. They own it for 99 years. All land Something in China? Like that. That's I didn't know that. Yeah, it's it. Around the world, there are all these different mechanisms. So freehold is one of the fairest ways because you can also release it and sell it to someone else as long as there's time left on it. You can extend it, I think. There's a lot of different ways. It's cool. In theory, it belongs to the people. It belongs to the people with access to the person. Yeah, in theory. In theory. Yeah, that's like, that's like I mean, ownership of land is an illusion. Like uh, Governments can just take it away from you at any point. I'd say like crypto is actually more easily owned by individuals than land. Um, it, you know, it's harder to pry it from your cold dead hand. Um, True. the, um, yeah, wh- oh, I was gonna, I was gonna comment. Yeah. So like le- leasehold, uh, I believe is, uh, uh, kind of like you don't have full ownership. Mm. Someone can take it. You're kind of like leasing freehold is you own the land and really no one can take it away from you. That's like the pure freehold oh. uh, concept. Patrick, thank you so much for coming on Untold Stories today and teaching us about freehold and and our views on money. I think there was a point where the three of us were just silent thinking about something that you said. I love when that happens. Thank you. Me too. I love learning too. I appreciate having, uh, thanks for having me on the podcast. This is great. And thanks for uh, all the work you've done, you know, getting folks onboarded into Bitcoin, especially crypto generally. Thank you. Thank you, Patrick. Take care, guys.